so I reiterate here, the bill is dead. The story of this great city is about the years before this night. We are free! Hey everybody, it's a new episode of Hoho Hong Kong. I'm sitting here with my co-host, new co-host. I think Vivek passed away. Congrats, <laughs> Vivek. He moved on to better things with his ancestors. I'm sitting here with a live co-host. Annie Louie, I'm back for another episode. I'm still stuck with Mo holidaying and working in Taiwan. We are not holidaying. Like, I think we had like a couple of days off, but we're mostly working. This is the second podcast to do and then one show. We just spent the whole conversation with our guest today talking about how we went to a spa yesterday. <laughs> so, put in your cover. <laughs> All right. Well, we're kind of on holiday, kind of working in Taipei. We just finished, wrapped up our show at 2-3 Comedy in Taipei and... What a club. Great, great place. It's actually also where we're recording right now. They allowed us to use the space. And I was thinking on the way here, how many countries have we recorded the podcast in? Just you and me now would be Hong mm-hmm. Kong, Taiwan, and Melbourne. Yes, correct. Yeah, but they're not countries, but yeah, yeah your geography needs a little work. But Wait, what? I mean, <laughs> all, all different three countries. of those are potentially, okay, I'm not introduced yet. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, especially for you, you want to go back to the, the C word, <laughs> so you probably want to be careful what you want to say, uh, I'm talking to our guest. So anyway, Vivek is not on, I am here with Annie, and we have a very special guest, also a very old friend, uh, not old in, in age and old in how long we have known each other for. Uh, Jesse Appel, very nice to have you on the podcast. First time, actually, we've interviewed a lot of working comics in Asia, and somehow, somehow, we, somehow I didn't get the invite. Yeah, yeah. Well, because you're far away, and we That's don't true. like to do Zoom. That's true. At all. Uh, yeah, I mean, if we can not never do Zoom again, I would be happy. Exactly. <laughs> So, Jesse, we met uh, in Beijing, I would say, at least 10 years ago. Yeah, it must have been. I, I started doing stand-up in 2012 in Beijing, and so you weren't that far behind. Right, yeah, I started 2013 in, in Shanghai. And uh, you have a pretty uh, exceptional story, I would say, because you have a long China connection. Yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, we can just start with the basic mm. radio interview, like mm. how did you end up in China? Sure, well, so I'm, I'm Jesse Appel, Chinese name is Ai Jiexi, and um, I grew up in the Boston area, in the suburbs of Boston. I took Chinese actually in high school and in college. And then in my junior year, I went to study abroad in Beijing, and I did these like intensive language courses where we had to like study a hundred new characters a day, every day, forever. Um, and we signed a language pledge that we would speak no English outside of calling our parents. And um, I did that every day for six months. Whoa. And it was, uh, it was really intense, uh, but I was missing comedy and I had done improv and a little bit of stand-up, but mostly improv in uh, high school and college. And I asked my Chinese friends, I was like, what kind of comedy do you have here? And they all recommended Xiangsheng, the you know traditional Beijing two-person style. Mm. And so when I was thinking about what I want to do after college, I thought, well, I'd really like to try that comedy out. <laughs> but um, I wasn't, I don't think I would have been brave enough to just like move and do the comedy. Mm. So I, I, I luckily I got found a middle way. I got a Fulbright fellowship to research the comedy. And so I apprenticed to a master teacher to learn the traditional comedy. For, uh, did that for a year, and then after that year, I was like, I really like being a comedian in Asia. I'm gonna try to give this a try. So mm. um, I still make my living doing Chinese comedy. So <laughs> it's, and uh, until that point, you haven't done any English stand-up when you started. So I did one or two English stand-up sets in college uh, in my senior year. 
I think I still have a video of that, um, but it wasn't. It uh -oh, was not we my can main probably, thing. If you can find it, we can put it on the, up on the Patreon. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, special. Yeah. yeah, these are people who paid extra to see it. Exactly. Right? Oh, no. you, where's the one where people paid you less than free? That's the, that's the one you want to put it on. Um, but I did. Uh, I did um, that. I also did like some funny stuff. Like I, we had a satirical newspaper in college, so I would write like funny articles. Um, and uh, it was, yeah, it was, comedy was something I did for fun. And then when I was in Asia, I was looking for ways of feeling like I was living a regular life and not just like doing Chinese all day. Mm. And so um, I got back into the comedy. And then once I got a taste of the lifestyle of being a comedian and having my days off to do what I want and mm. performing for people and making them laugh and getting that, that stage rush. And, um, and also at the time, 2012, it's easy to forget now, but China was much more open, mm. uh, very easy to do stuff. The scene was like I was one of the first eight people like flat I think doing yes. Chinese stand-up in in the world and so it was uh, it was a lot of fun to be part of the birth of yeah. that scene what is it like to be emerging as a stand-up comedian but also people aren't educated yet to know what stand-up is it was wacko like we would do so the Chinese translation is show, talk show and <laughs> and everything from like Oprah to like Dave Chappelle is talk show yeah. right. so we would in the early days in 2012 we would like be in a, a bar like the Lanxi the, the Blue uh, Blue River bar in Gulo and um, the, there were like five stand-ups and, and three audience members and, and, and two of the people in the audience in, the, in one of those shows was like, when's the guest coming on? Because they thought it was a talk show, right? Um, and then because it yeah. was translated as talk show, yeah. And then the early the early Chinese, I don't think it was yeah. their fault. No, it's not their fault, and they, they don't know what it is. And yeah. so and the the um, the early comedians also was really funny for me being there because the early comedians were like committed to never doing the same joke twice, right? Because they thought that like every show should be different, or sure. else the audience is not going to come back. And like I'm like. I'm not a professional at this, but yeah. I think you're, you got to tell the same joke at least twice. <laughs> I don't know how many times is the the right amount, but I think we know that you got to do it again. So back yeah. back in the day when you started, you're saying there was like about maybe about eight people doing stand up yeah. in total, but Dashan was also one of them. So Dashan was uh, Dashan had been living in Canada for a little while, but Dashan did the traditional xiangsheng, right. and he actually hadn't really been doing xiangsheng seriously for about 10 years by the time I got there. He was mm. very active in the 90s doing mm. Xiangsheng, and then he was like a zhuzhi and like a host mm. in the in the aughts. And then by the time I got there in 2012, there were like a couple people, Tony Cho, you might mm. know. Yes. Um, early people, there's a comedian, Yeso, um, you know. He's yeah, still I guess it's just my fascination mm. is that among these very limited group of people, there is two white guys. Well, they, yeah. so there wasn't the actually the second white guy. Mm. The truth should be told is Des Bishop. Oh yeah, so that's Des, right. Des yes, you're really right. deserves yeah. his spot there yes. in that okay. he was he put together what I believe to be the first real stand-up show in Beijing in mm. late 2012 or early 2013 at uh, at Renmin University. We mm. had a bookstore there, and it was the first time where there was 90 minutes and a host, and everybody did bits that they had done before at a mic somewhere. Right, and it was a great show, and it was packed. And so I think everybody saw that like, oh, like this, this has some juice to it. And, um, and that really inspired people to go and work on their jokes because mm. that was the, um, that was the sort of thing that, uh, that, uh, would get people excited and, and be able to do stuff. Yeah. Have you gone back to America to do any stand-up? Yeah. So it, it recently or just in oh, general? In general, yeah. So uh, from 2012 until the pandemic, I lived in Beijing. 
or in Shanghai, but mostly in Beijing. And then uh, in January 23rd, 2020, I went home for what I thought would be nine days, and it's turned out to be, you know, four years now of, of um, mostly of exile. I did eventually get back to China, but it took three and a half years to get yeah, back. Yeah, that's so. funny that you consider going back to the States as exile. <laughs> well, it's funny. I mean, I, I didn't choose it. I mean, I... Uh, okay, it, wait, yeah, it's been an... Yeah. We good? Yeah. So, yeah, okay. I didn't choose it, but the... Um, uh, as a comedian, it really felt like exile, and in many ways, it still feels like exile because, like, the biggest and best shows that I've done since uh, since the pandemic started have all been for the the Chinese expat community in all around the world. I did shows in the states, in Canada, in Europe, um, and it's all for Chinese people that, ironically, are also exiles. Like, we're all missing life in China, and also nostalgic for life before everything got a little bit more closed. So. It's really funny. Like I, I would be doing Chinese comedy in a, in in Paris, and then afterwards we go and hang out and eat Chinese food in Paris with all the Chinese people, and everybody's like, "Oh, we all miss Beijing." Like, you know, <laughs> so, um, but I do do English stand up as well, uh, a mm -hmm. little bit more now. I live in Hollywood, so it's like there there is an English stand up scene in Hollywood, and um, yeah. and so I try to try to get on stage and do more English and challenge myself that way. When did you get over the the shock of Chinese people think like? complimenting you on your <laughs> how good your Chinese is. You just get used to it. I mean, it's like, yeah. I mean, I, I have bits on that, so that yeah. helps. There always, there's always room. I, what I would do eventually was like use every time as an opportunity to try some new bits. I would just do like weirder and weirder shit. Right. Like um, <laughs> even on this trip, I did it just to see what would happen in Taipei because it might have been, might've been different, but I was stopped by a guy who's actually flyering for Amnesty International. Right. And so he was like, oh, oh sir, sir, sir. I'm like, oh, oh sure. sure. And then I saw that he was a flyer guy. He said, oh, you speak I'm like, oh, yeah. Or he said, you speak Chinese, which is uh, slightly different. Um, right. And, um, yeah, you can translate and then, our And then I'm just like, oh, boy, boy, translate. Like, I, I've just memorized this all. I right. Just have, and I was like, I have, and I tried to pretend to count. I've got 13 memorized conversations. And um, so. <laughs> this is yeah, one this of them. Is one of them. I'm, I'm saying it right I'm now. I'm saying it right now. <laughs> and, and it's funny because like some people immediately get your joking, but most people have never really had a in-depth conversation in Chinese with a foreigner period. So this is truly unfair to them to be right. pulling this out. It's like, <laughs> it's actually not a nice thing to do, but, but I just, that's how I deal with the boredom. Is just right. Yeah. Because you get bored. Stuff. Exactly. If yeah. everyone is telling you, it's like, you know, someone who's really tall, like yeah, everyone's yeah. telling them, Oh, yeah, you're yeah, really what, tall. What's like, the weather up yeah. there? And it's like, it's, it's horrible. Like we've lost people. Like, uh, <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I lost a house. Like, you know, <laughs> you obviously like, even if someone who, uh, who understands, not very good Mandarin. Mm. You have a pretty heavy Beijing Hua. Yeah. Uh, it, do you yeah. speak any other dialects? No. I So I really, so I have a heavy Beijing accent, but the truth is, is because I learned my Mandarin partially from books, but also partially from hanging out in one Chinese comedy clubs in which it's all young people and two Xiangsheng mm. training, which is mostly old people. <laughs> so like actually more of the Beijing dialect comes from hanging out with all the old comedians because like, mm. that's, that's how they did it. And especially it's not even the language. It's like the pacing, mm. the pacing of how to do the Beijing line. Yeah, well, this is really Right. You have the knowledge to change your accent or dialect if you wanted to, right? Yeah. But it's like just easier or yeah. why why is it that you don't want to make it like flatter for it? Um I, I kind of um so and then the the most of the reason is by having that melding of all three as my actual education, 
I don't really have full control over my regular speaking voice because I might say some words that I think are Chinese and then when I go to a place like Taiwan, they'll be like, what, is it, what do you mean? Like, I've never heard the Luruwar, you know, like, you know, take a trip around, like, you know, Diaogatou. You know, these these are things that uh, that are like Beijing dialect that in the mainland they kind of know what's going on, but then you get somewhere like here, or I bet if I went to Hong Kong and tried right. to speak Mandarin, they would have no idea what I was talking about. Yeah. And for me, it's just like I've been in a cab enough that when I want to have them take a U-turn, I tell uh, mm. uh, and then the, that's that's just how you say it. And so it is only later people will point out to me that's not standard. That's like you saying, um, "What the hell are you talking about in Australia?" I'm like, "Yeah, just chuck a Yui here." It's like, "What?" Yeah, yeah, chuck a Yui. <laughs> right. in, in, in Boston, we say bang a Yui. Bangy. Oh, That's okay. yeah, got a bang a Yui. Yui is in yeah, common between yeah. the two. Go down sterile, yeah, go down sterile, bang a Yui, you're right there. Yeah, you're the freak. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, but you also got, we hung out before, and you guys said that there are similarities between the Aussie accent and the Boston accent. Oh, yeah, we, we talked oh, yeah. about this. Yeah. 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 Well, it was, uh, it was funny. Uh, Annie, I'm, in a classic fashion, she never listens to anybody, <laughs> so she has no memory of this I've conversation. I've so many Americans on this trip, they're all just melding into one man. <laughs> We're all one generic, <laughs> yeah. like, white man. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, the, the Boston accent. They, and he's they, like, we hung out. Yeah, yeah. No, no, who is this guy? Yeah, um, where am I now? Like, you know. Um, yeah, to be the, fair to her, we are sitting in like a basement of yeah, yeah. A, in a building in Taipei with two men. That's not a great well, yeah, yeah. Also, the guy who owns this, who we're staying with, is another American white man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's Shout right. Out yeah. To Sam. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of us here. Mm. There's a lot of us here. But yeah. Mm. The um, you know, the the ba- the uh, Beijing accent, mm. uh, so that everybody knows you add in all these R's, R Y mm. yeah. Um, but then the Boston accent is the opposite. You take away all the I's. Mm. So you you use the other yeah, Pac Man Havid, yeah, that sort of thing. <laughs> and then for the funny thing is though that less known about the Boston accent is you add the R's where they shouldn't be. You know, so yeah. like you know, so we say rocker. Uh, rock, uh, so you say rocker, you take away the R's, so you'd be raka. But then like you know, I'm trying to think China, of, China, yeah, yeah, China, yeah, 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 China, yeah, China. I China. feel like Australia has a little bit of that too. The Australian accent, like you can hear a little bit of R sometimes as well. So, well, yeah, even an example be. today, I said leave the door ajar, and then he was he was like, that sounds like it should be Beijing. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I knew the word obviously, yeah, yeah. but she did say yeah. yeah. I think there was a little bit more R than yeah. it yeah. should have, and yeah. I'm like. Yeah, it sounds like just a Beijing one. Yeah, Beijing one. Leave the door ajar. Yeah, yeah, Does Does Bishop had a joke on this where he was like, the the Beijing accent is like, imagine if you drop, you put like, uh, like three or four dogs in a sack and drop them down a well as they're going down. I think that was Des. If it's not Des, Des got credit for it. Yeah, but it was it was getting further and further away, just like more echoey. Where, when, when did you leave, like, before COVID? Like, mm. you, because you were in China when yeah. everything... No, was. so I left, so I, COVID hit literally in midair. So when I left China, it was being blocked on WeChat, and it's a rumor, don't spread rumors. When I landed, it's real, your flight back is canceled. Six days later, your visa is canceled. Right. And then I was like, oh, I might be here for a, a week later, your life is canceled. Yeah, yeah you exactly. You went to China, actually. So I was on the uh, the Chinese version of Last Comic Standing at the time. We had filmed two episodes, and I, I fully... Ex- that. I yeah. fully expected to have been kicked off the show by two episodes, but somehow I had made the top eight. And so they were like, you, you had wanted nine. the token white guy. Yeah, anyway. I, well, so, so that'll get you on the show. Yeah. But I like beat people in a straight up one on one. Like they All would right, have fine. me, me and other comedians. Again, I wasn't expecting to win. Yeah. Um, but the, um, I think the other guy, you know, I had spent what at that point eight years working on my tight. Arable oh, Chinese like okay, media thing. Yeah. So I was like, I had all this gas, and you know, this guy just was on a random TV show he didn't care about. Um, so 
I was, uh, I was uh, expecting to go back. They said, you have nine days. You could stay in China or you could go home. But if you go home, you have to come back in nine days. To Is that the next rock show. and roll? The show? Yeah. No, it was uh, it was called Huan Le Xi Ju Ren. What is the other one? Rock and roll, oh, the one like, that Nora was like, on. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, those are yeah. the... Those, those are also stand-up shows. Yeah, those right? are also stand-up shows. The, the uh, Huan Le Xi Ju Ren is, is like, uh, they have sketch, they have xiang sheng, they have all sorts of comedy. And right. so I was actually, the real reason I was on the show is I was a stand-up. Like right. they, they um, like those shows are not actually fun to be on as a stand-up because the directors don't know what stand-up mm -hmm. is. And so uh, for me, I like was like I wasn't planning on going on the show, but then for the the first time ever in Chinese TV, they're like, "We'll actually pay you." I'm like, "Really? Whoa, okay, great. Nice. Usually they don't pay you." And so I was like, "Oh, I'll, I'll do this if you're paying me and yeah. you're getting me on TV, sure." Um, usually the challenges with the stand-up is that they don't know stand-up, so they just make all the wrong decisions about how to do stuff. And um, and also just like little things like they don't have any warm up act. They'll have everybody in the the audience has been. It's like two a.m. They're waiting to shoot. They've been like waiting for. We've been waiting fourteen hours, and then they'll just be like uh, whatever. The last guy was up ninety minutes ago, and then they'll just like five, four, three, two, and then you just have to like go into this super cold room at two a.m. where Oof. where it's like a TV studio, so like the audience is even close to you or anything like that. It was like not a good place to do comedy. So so they're pitting you know. different art forms against each other. Yeah. Yeah, that was the other thing that was awkward about it. I was like, if I get matched up against Xiang Sheng, I'm going to lose. There's no mm -hmm. way they're going to be like, we like the Westerner and the Western art form over the Chinese and the Chinese art of form. Of course. So luckily, I was matched up against a guy that was doing like sketch. But of course, sketch in China is new and they don't really know how to do sketch, at least mm -hmm. especially four years ago. It's gotten bigger now. But the, so I got I got really lucky because if I had gone up against uh, like the Xiang Sheng, I'm sure I would have lost. That sounds like those lineup shows where you're on after someone doing flame throwing and you're like, you can't compete with that like if oh, we yeah. Got, yeah. oh I, I have the best story on that so the, the the I did a show in Wuhan actually many times before it became a problem um, but the the guy who went on before me so it was it was a variety show okay the, this was the act that went on before me I was second the first act was this guy came out and uh, he had like a board and a, and a partner and he put his partner against the board and he took out some throwing knives and he was about to throw the knives and he goes wait and he puts the knife down and he goes into the front row where a bunch of people ordered a bunch of beers. He takes one of their beers, he swirls it around, downs the whole beer right. in one gulp, throws the bottle into the crowd, which was full, <laughs> um, like, and then takes the knives and starts throwing bam, 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 all around this guy's like silhouette. And then sure. everybody goes crazy, whoa. Then a woman comes out with a, with a platter and even bigger knives. And he goes back into the front row and drinks another beer, oh, downs no. another beer, and starts throwing even bigger knives. He did this five times. He drank five beers in like six or seven minutes. What? And eventually was throwing machetes. And then it was like nuts. And then at the end of it, somebody came on with two calligraphy scrolls and one pen in each hand. He wrote two lines of poetry and they auctioned it off for charity. And then they're like, okay, now you go on. <laughs> And I'm like, you know, like everybody says, "Wang, you did your win, Jason." Literally, my opening joke. And I'm like, I'm like, God, I have to follow that guy. Um, oh God! So I, I think there is a window there where you have to down the beer before you get strong. Like it hasn't hit your system yet. It's like if I don't, I don't do the giant knives before I'm wasted. This is yeah. gonna be like wonder, an insurance like, fail. It, it, it actually, like weirdly enough, there's probably not enough time for the alcohol to hit your system. You could probably drink as many beers as you wanted as long as you got the show over in seven yeah. minutes. Yeah. I feel like you're also running running on adrenaline at oh, this yeah, point. Oh yeah, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, again, you I, know you can 
also killed the partner. But, yeah, so on one hand, I was like, on one hand, I was like, that guy has a rough job. But on the other hand, I was like, you know, it's a rougher job is the knife, the guy who's getting the knives thrown at him. Yeah. Like, because he, he has no control over this situation. Right. Is he, like, tied up, right? He was just standing there. Like, yeah, I right. mean, but you couldn't have really reacted. Like, right. you know, it's there was, the, Yeah, it's not fast enough to react. Yeah, I wonder so. how, how many beers you could get away with drinking from the audience doing your act. Well, this was the thing. I was like, that was the thing that really fascinated me about it because I was like, if you were a comedian and you took a sip of somebody's drink, that would be like, whoa, man. But yeah. like this guy was like downing yeah. multiple drinks. And, and I was like, is it a plant? Is it not a plant? It didn't look like a plant. Like, right. you know, so yeah, like- everyone's like, can we have drink smashes now? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they had like beers. one of those like, you know, hand handle things that held eight beers at once. And so they had, right. they had um, done that. I think it worked though, because that club, they had, um, it was like required that you buy a certain amount of alcohol, so it was pretty mm. clear it was going to mm. be there. So, right, right. Uh, it was nuts. Actually, drinking. Speak of drinking uh, is a perfect transition to our uh, the other thing that you do. That oh, is, yeah. uh, that is, I guess, your main business right now. Yeah. Uh, which it, you're. It's quite fascinating how you manage to get. You still include stand-up or like comedy mm. into the world of tea. Mm. Yeah. Which I don't even know how. Like <laughs> if someone told me someone is doing that, I'd be like, well, yeah. what are you on about? It really wasn't a plan. So the, the tea company is like this. So I run a tea, tea company now. It's called Jesse's Tea House. Um, I also have a podcast, Tea Time with Jesse, which you guys were on. So, uh, yeah. you know, ho-ho, By the time fans. this comes up, yeah, the, yeah, the, the episode will be out You'll be well. out there. So you guys can check out the interview with them. And mm. um, basically, the, it originally actually was – so tea was just my hobby. It was what I did in the daytime. There's actually – But slow down. What, what, what do you yeah. mean tea is your hobby? So in China, like in the daytime, I was a comedian. So in the daytime, mm. I had time. And, I, would, and uh, I was always looking at practicing jokes or just improving my language. And I found out that if you go to the wholesale tea market in Beijing, the Ma Lian Dao, Pifa They have, um, it's all Chinese people that speak no English and they just sit and talk all day. Right. And so I was like, oh, this is perfect as like a stand-up to like practice just speaking and trying to tell stories. And occasionally I would go with like bits to try, but it was it was like a place to talk and to um, to improve my Chinese. And eventually if you go to the tea market all the time, you learn about the tea and they wind up like telling you about the tea culture. And um, so all throughout, whenever I would do shows in China, I, if I did a show in Hangzhou, then I'd be spending an extra two or three days and go up to the tea hills and try to meet the tea farmers and go and drink at tea shops. It was just a lot. It's a lot of fun. And um, when the pandemic hit, uh, you know, I was going to China for nine days. So I brought about four or five months of tea with me because I'm nuts. <laughs> and I was drinking tea every day and eventually I had to get more tea and... Um, you know, I wound up like, you know, by the end of, I'd say, year one of the pandemic, I was just trying to write jokes and drinking tea, trying to write jokes. And I was writing fewer and fewer jokes and drinking more and more tea. Right. Um, and at the same time, I had a problem, which was that I had all these followers in China, but I couldn't make any money off of them because I couldn't do live shows and I couldn't live But you had live the followers stream. from, from the, your from the stand up. From the stand up. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, I had okay. stand up followers on Douyin and Billy Billy and Weibo and... And I couldn't do live shows and I couldn't live stream because foreigners can't live stream. And even if I was Chinese, I couldn't live stream okay, from the West. Okay, let me stop you here again and yeah. explain to <laughs> most people. You, you are one of the few foreigners who actually had success streaming in China or like yeah. gaining I, I had following about, in I had China. About, I still have about 2 million followers in China. So which I is have, nuts yeah, for which is crazy. most people. Yeah, and, uh, and, yeah. and what may be unique and I think is unique in comedy is to have that following without having signed to a talent agency. Exactly. So that's the thing. It's like once you're signed to an agency, they you know you have other people's livelihood at stake of messing it up. Right mm. now, I only or have my Or without own. being you know, a Cristiano Ronaldo or whatever. Oh, yeah, like yeah. Someone from out of China. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. You're basically yeah, based in 
other people that know me as doing Chinese stand-up in China. But why can't foreigners live stream in China? Because they don't have a Chinese ID. So without the Chinese ID, you can't get verified. Without verifying, you can't live stream. And I'm sure if I got verified, they would find another reason I can't live stream. <laughs> they, so, they don't want to, who knows what you might say. I mean, yeah, so okay. like at the end of the day, so basically I was... I, I spent the whole of 2020 trying to come up with unconventional ways of monetizing my online audience. And eventually what I came to was I was going to start a tea club for Chinese people where every month you would get a box of tea. But in addition, I would pull you into a private WeChat group where then I would send like Zoom meetings or like 10 cent meet links. So I would run like a cultural club, comedy club, online live stream and so you wouldn't buy a ticket, you'd buy a box of tea. Mm. But it would come with a free seat to the show. Yeah. And it's you performing live stand-up. Yeah, so the goal was to like, I mean, I didn't even get that far because I was like, I wasn't sure what would even work live. But the idea was basically to use the tea as a way to, and I, and, and it, this was also like because I was getting lots of offers to do ads, but it was for all this junky stuff like blenders and makeup. And, and it would have been fine if they let me do jokes, but like they didn't I want me to do jokes. I want to see you selling, sell blenders. I had so many good blender ads. <laughs> The, the, the best the best one and I really regret I didn't do it the ad that I didn't take but I really wish I had was that I was contacted by a watch brand in China mm. and the watch brand this was during the 2020 election the watch brand was called Biden and they had <laughs> these watches that had Biden on them and I asked them I'm oh, just yeah, out of curiosity just out of curiosity why did you make a watch brand called Biden and and it broke my heart they had gotten so close to having a good idea they said well we noticed that Trump put his name on everything. Hmm. So we thought that maybe we should be selling Biden stuff. And I'm like, oh, you really misread the American yeah, political yeah, situation. Yeah. None of the people on the left want to buy a Biden watch. Right. <laughs> like, you know, you really, and so I really regret that I hadn't played this out longer just to get the sample watch. Like, you should like, have I called it like Biden, like white egg or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, Biden, yeah. <laughs> Biden, yeah. But they, they had thought that Americans would want to buy, buy Biden watches. And, you know, for all you know, like as an ironic twist, maybe they would. But yeah. Um, but I was like, why am I going to spend, why did I work so hard as a stand-up to do what I want to do, to then spend my time not doing what I want to do, selling blenders and makeup and Biden watches? Right, so I, again, for yeah. timeline's sake, yeah, you're right, yeah. in L.A. I'm in, no, at that time, I was home with my parents in Boston. In Boston. Uh, in Boston. Stuck, locked out of stuck, China. You know, visa canceled. Visa canceled, you know, stuck, locked down. And you have a bunch of teas And every day I'm drinking you. tea. And yeah. I was thinking maybe this tea would be my way of monetizing. And so it took about six months to get the paperwork in China to sell tea on the internet. And while I did that, I started making English language videos about tea and tea culture. Mm. And to my surprise, everybody was really interested. Like we had, you know, I made a video every day. And by the end of two or three months, we were already at 30, 40, 50,000 followers or something right. on TikTok. It's just you, you talking like personal yeah. camera, just... Do yeah, we talk about yeah tea? I, basically, I had learned from my life making comedy videos that, you know, there's no correlation between how much time you spend on an internet video and how well it does. Right. So the um, so I was thinking, I'm already drinking tea every day. I'm going to come up with a video format that I can shoot, edit, subtitle, and post within one hour. And, mm -hmm. and I'm like, and I can spend one hour a day on this. And then... Uh, so basically the format in the beginning, and it's really not that uh, dissimilar now, is that I make tea and I tell you about the tea I'm making or something about it. You know, what's red tea? What's black tea? What's green tea? You know, what's a gaiwan? What's a tea table set? What are tea pets? And I figured there would be like 50 or 60 or 70 topics I could go on before I would even have to think about it. And, mm -hmm. um, and then what happened was people started asking questions. Right. And so now, oh, I have a bajillion questions to answer. I'll never run out of topics. And so... 
um, it surprisingly when and then people ask where do you get your tea from and I was like oh I get it like straight from the tea farmers but you can't buy it here like they literally just send it to me in the mail and then so they're you're like oh now they followers, want more. <laughs> obviously because it's on TikTok and Instagram you're mm. getting followers not in China yeah so this is on the Western internet so in the end I never really got any benefit in the tea company of having all those followers in China like right. and actually this is a problem I've let I put it off far too long they don't even know that I run the tea company. Right. So like I need to eventually go and break it to people that it's like part of the reason I haven't been doing as much stand up is because the tea is working is a good thing for Chinese culture. Mm. But um, but it, it has it has meant that I uh, especially like up until this last year, I've been putting a little bit more energy into the tea company than the comedy because they just won't let me do comedy. Mm. <laughs> is that not something you can do today? Just make an announcement. Hey, everybody, I do I tea can. now. I can, but I feel like it's a opportunity. I need it, it's more that I could make that one video, but like, how do I come up with enough to revive the channel and like really come up with enough comedy content while I'm also running this tea thing now? Right, as and opposed so, yeah. to you go, dumping a link and be like, I have a tea shop now. If you yeah, no, and, tea, and, and that's the thing is, is yeah, like, yeah. people might even want to support it, and it's yeah. like, well, I've already have it imported to America. It's going to be very expensive to ship to China again. It's not a good thing so i've been waiting to try to figure out the right way of doing this to go back and, and again the the comment the the tiktok doing stand-up was easy to do when i could go to an open mic every night but there mm. are no there are very few chinese open mics in in the states and so i just don't have the ability to make new material at the pace of the chinese stand-ups and that's that's the thing if you're going to make it in chinese stand-up you need to outcompete the chinese stand-ups yeah i was going to ask so. how <laughs> many chinese stand-ups are there no. in the u.s in the U.S., they're just starting to be a couple little scenes that have been popped up. Uh, San Francisco and New York, I'd say, are the biggest in the U.S. La Feng Xiju in New York, and then um, the uh, the Wu Tou Show Julebu in San Francisco. Um, but there's also some good big clubs in Toronto and in Vancouver. And um, I'd say there's a hundred maybe Chinese stand-ups in the in the states and in in, like in Europe. Working comics. Yeah. Oh wow, working. I don't think anyone makes any money from it. Like no um, one. I don't think so. I mean, um, I'm sure I they guess got like Joe couple, Wong. Maybe oh, Joe Wong would be the exception. Yes. Joe Wong is is uh, yeah. Joe Wong's in a class of his own, really, right. in that sense. Because um, he would be like, I would think he's like the biggest Chinese yeah. stand up in mm. Chinese and in, in the world, um, right? In and in, in Chinese or in, in Chinese in Chinese in America would not be not an ethnically Chinese no. comedian in English. I'm saying in. Chinese person performing in Chinese. Oh no, there are much bigger the people than Joe Wong. I mean, Joe was a great comedian, but but now they're like huge. Not I mean, in China. Not outside in China. of China. Oh, outside yes. of China. Yes. That's yeah, my question. Yeah, it would probably be me or him. It's probably him. Yeah. So the um yeah. and then I'm so trying to, niche. That's or, my point. Or like Trizza, but Trizza got banned and can't go back to China, so yes. that's why he's not in China. Trizza, so. uh, I knew who, who yeah. he is, and he's yeah, super yeah. talented. He's, he's hilarious. He's so talented. So he, yeah. yeah. So that I, is, I won't that reveal shame, the actually. location of Trizza, but I don't think he's in China. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. So I, the I know he's not in China, but like yeah, that's that's a shame. Yeah. So there and um and yeah, in Chinese there really isn't a lot, and so it's it's kind of a good and a bad the good is that when I do do shows people are really thirsty for like essentially they don't know it but like a professional like you know somebody who isn't from the community and just like kind of putting up some jokes on the other hand um, the it's very unfortunate I think but they have kind of switched to using Xiaohongshu as the main way to like share stand-up amongst each other within the Chinese expat community, which means they've gone back into the censorship system. Yes. So, so it's so like... So explain to the audience yeah. what Xiaohongshu is. Xiaohongshu is a little red book. It's like a short video app, kind of like TikTok or whatever, but it's it's kind of like the its niche right now is 
uh, like uh, Chinese abroad and sharing life of Chinese abroad, not just for Chinese abroad, but for um, for, for everybody. And um, also like travel content, fashion content, that sort of stuff. But the, the challenge is it's not great for comedy because like even if I have a lot of followers on, on Douyin or whatever, very few of them are in the States. So if you want to like use it to push tickets to tour in the States, even though there are followers who are in the States, the algorithm won't find it. Because the algorithm will say, we showed it to 100 people and only two liked it. So this video sucks. Yeah, that's but a actually, real hard thing about, because we use TikTok in Australia. Yeah. And then I didn't realize until I got to Hong Kong, they don't use it there. They yeah. use, you have Douyin as well. Yeah. Or nothing at all. No I, I imagine Douyin would I think Hong Kong work. has no TikTok or Douyin Yeah, now. No TikTok, so, but yeah. Yeah, it's like, why? what's the point of doing hashtag Hong Kong if no one's really going to see it unless it's about tourists going there so mm -hmm. then it's like if we were you and i mo to do content like for what audience and why like you kind of trapped between the two worlds um yeah. yeah but at the same time like i wanted to ask if you're doing comedy about tea because like that yeah. seems an obvious niche i have a couple bits on it i really need to like build more of them i did a comedy a combination comedy show and tea tasting in new york with mm. uh with uh, some of our old friends uh, gus tate turner mm. sparks uh, ben Frank, yeah, um, and uh, Macy Kwok, who's uh, runs the um, the the uh, the comedy club there, St. Mark's right. uh, Comedy Club, and uh, the uh, that was an interesting experience because we did basically we all did a couple minutes um, we all did a couple minutes uh, of stand up. So we did like the first half of the show was all stand up. The second and half it was of the live show, live audience, live audience, yeah. Uh, but we were serving tea throughout the sure. thing. And then the second half of the show, I brought a tea table up and I made tea while we played some games. Mm. So like we would do, um, we I made up a game called Spill the Tea. And so basically everybody had to tell a story that might be true or false. And if it was true, their goal is to convince everybody. It was, it's such a crazy story, it has to sure. be false. If it was a false story, they had to tell it realistically enough that people guessed it was true. The audience guesses. Just playing a game while drinking tea. That's a fun game. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. And so it was, I think stuff like that um, we're going to do more of, but also just like bits about tea. Um, there's there's a lot there. And so I need to kind of, um, I'm actually like as a creator, like as a, um, just like somebody who is uh, like making comedy, I need to kind of break out of this shell of like, thinking about what the Asian audience is going to be thinking about my comedy because before whether it was in China or Chinese even if it was in English my fans were all in Asia right. and now increasingly I have these tea fans who are interested in hearing about lots of things not just life in Asia so mm. the tea content and the running of a tea company I think could be very fruitful mm. comedy this I mean running a tea company is like hilarious yeah <laughs> I was gonna say like actually walk us through the process of what what, what do you mean by running a tea company sure so, where is the company based where so, who are your employees so it's an online tea house we have seven employees now um, where are they? So we have three, <laughs> uh, two, yeah, like yeah, like we're like, where, yeah. This is a scam. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I have uh, two in America, three in China, and now one in the Philippines and one in Kenya. Um, Amazing. The, yeah, so it's it's unnecessarily global. The uh, the Basically what I do is I buy tea in China, I uh, pack it, and I ship it to the port. I send it from the port uh, in China to the port in the States. Mm. And then I have a warehouse in the States. It's like an e-commerce fulfillment center. So kind of like a mini Amazon facility just mm. 
uh, but not like Amazon scale. Sure. But they basically, every time I make an order, they get a they get a notification. They put the tea into a box. They send the box off, and everybody charges me for every step of this journey. Of course. But I built it that way to be because I was sure that I'd be going back to doing comedy full time, and so I was like, "There's no reason to start a tea company where I'm going to be packing boxes because mm-hmm. it's just not going to happen." So either the market bears the cost of of all of those services, or it doesn't, and so. Now we, uh, you know, it's it's grown to like quite a bit. Like as far as I can tell, I'm the biggest tea influencer on the internet. Yeah, this is such like a I, foreign term. <laughs> tea influencer. I never thought was a I, thing. Like, I ha- didn't. Yeah. I mean, I I don't see myself as a tea influencer. Although living in Hollywood, I kind of have to call myself that because they're, they're crazy. I, I like people. <laughs> people. I literally have been invited to parties by people, and they'd be like, "You should come to this party." Oh wait, what what's your social following? Mm. I'm like. Does it matter? And like, yeah, like they won't let anyone in without half a million followers and on something. Right. I'm like, really? Like, do I want to be there? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. That sounds like a party you don't want to be at no. anyway. I actually stopped going to those, but like I, in the beginning, I didn't know anyone in Hollywood. I was like, maybe this is a good place to meet people, or you know, um, it was it was kind of weird. Like there would be a lot of parties on like the rooftop of the Beverly Hills Hotel or something like that, or mm. the Hollywood Hotel and. There's like all these people in like, you know, bikinis walking around, but they're like not all for our party. It's just like our party had like one cabana, but then there were just like other people at the hotel that were there. Right. And then like it was like a mix of like all the Hollywood parties are a mix of influencers trying to figure out who actually has money and people with money trying to figure out who actually has influence. Mm. But in during the dance, nobody's mean to each other the whole time. So they all have these like weird, vapid conversations um, that dance around the fact that they're trying to figure out whether the other person even does anything. <laughs> and, and I was like, you know, sitting there and it's like, you know, I think I was the only Fulbright scholar there. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was, there was, it was, but, it, but I will say in to a positive Hollywood, as much as I kind of ragged on Hollywood a bit, it is a place where everybody is making their own path mm-hmm. and they are very, very accepting and more even encouraging of like, yeah, you do tea and comedy and the media all comes together and there's a podcast and like, People just get it. Wow. Yeah, because I was going to say, what's the worst reaction you've had to be like, tea, tea influencer? Oh, God. Um, I mean, honestly, it's just my own reaction to myself hearing that term. Is my, <laughs> my least. I don't think of myself that way because the, the, the way I look at it is this. It's like I get, I'm lucky that the TikTok and these platforms have solved the fundamental problem of cultural exchange, which is mm-hmm. you, you need to be able to reach people and educate them. And so all of my tea videos are basically 55 seconds of a real educational video that I would be making anyway, Mm. and then five seconds of, by the way, go to my tea website if you want tea. And it actually turns out to be perfect because I get to put all the selling, so to speak, into one part. And not every video is featuring a product. Um, But then also, if I need to, I can make a video that's like, hey, guys, we just dropped a new product. Like, if you've been watching, this is your chance to help out the channel. And I think that... 10 years ago or even now in China to go directly to the audience and bring the economics of creating in there would have been not appropriate. Like people wouldn't get it. But I think people are increasingly realizing, especially with music, you can't make money on 0.002 cents a play. You right. can't make money on 0.002 tenths of view. 
the way that niche media should work is uh, you should sign up for the Ho Ho Hong Kong Patreon. Right. And like this is like I, the more that I've thought about it, like originally that would is, be the sound bite I would use for yeah, this exactly. episode. Yeah, exactly. The There's no other clip. I'm gonna be like you know <laughs> yeah, completely yeah. cut out. Yeah. No one's gonna even know who I was. No, it's a fat on loop. Sign yeah, up for yeah, the Patreon. Just, this is the way the to go the these days. Patreon. Sign up for the Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> can we get that looped in the back of the whole episode? Yeah, Patreon. yeah, yeah. We can. Patreon. Yeah, we'll put Vivek on it. Yeah. Um, but like. Um, I think that it's honestly more, it's more intellectually, artistically, and economically honest to tell the audience, this show will not work if you don't pay at some point for something. Mm. And for the tea, the something is the tea. Mm. I really don't need, like, we may start a Patreon or something at some point, but I really don't need that to work. Mm. Um, like, we, um, we need, but, like, this idea but that, But you like, want people to buy tea. Yeah, I do. But, but it's like... It, the the most important thing is like I actually feel kind of artistically freer than I did when I was doing just stand up because doing just stand up you can kill a show but like we all know this like the amount of money you make doing stand up isn't how funny you are it's how many tickets you can sell yes so like you need to be good enough to be able to do a good show that people will come again or you'll get booked again but once you're sufficiently good somebody else who has ten times the following will just make ten times the money yeah yep. and and it and it um and so. That's the reality, and so it used to be kind of like you know inappropriate to talk about the monetization of the art and blah blah blah. But now I'm like, look, the alternative is grinding away forever, making YouTube videos, hoping for what, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I and it's um, just like I think people are coming to this this point with like journalism to realize like if I want good journalism, I'm going to need to pay for a Substack because the click-based media is not going to get me the real news. Um, and people, I think, are realizing now with online entertainers that, like, you know, YouTube isn't made for free. People are coming out with 40-minute long, highly episode, like, highly edited episodes with subtitles. None of that happens for free. Whatever you say yeah. about the media, I will never stop clicking to yeah. see how Jennifer Aniston looks now. Oh, I want to know how she looks now. Yeah, I, w I also want to know. Yeah, have you yeah. seen the, have you seen, my favorite is the, the seagull with giant biceps and it says, has yes. science gone too far? <laughs> <laughs> and, and the answer is yes, it has. But, um, but I think like, I, I think a lot of the, um, a lot of the evils of social media ultimately can be traced down to the fact that most people monetize by clicks. When you monetize by clicks, you have to get more clicks. When you have to get mm -hmm. more clicks, you, you have to become an extremist. Right. There's no other way to do it. You have to be extreme about something mm. because anything in the middle that people aren't loving or hating right. is going to fall to the bottom mm. of the algorithm. And so I've, I prefer to be in the middle and say, I'm going to be in the middle, but the way I get away with not being an extremist is you have to buy some tea. You right. Know, or like and you have to buy a show ticket. The yeah. repeat customers as well, I think about where if you, you've given away your jokes that year, they're not really going to want to come again unless they're yeah. like going to bring a friend and be like, I can't yeah. wait for you to see this joke. But you yeah. can have multiple purchases of tea. So that yeah. was really smart. And also the Patreon, that's why I think all the comics are doing Patreon and they should because it's like, yeah, my show, I'm going to do once a year. But the way this and again I think that people should be really upfront and honest about this like I get to do stand up professionally and put together a really good show for you and not give you a crappy show because I need you to pay five bucks a month for the podcast yeah. and the podcast is fun it's not a bad product yeah. but it's just like understanding like making people understand that it's like you know if you want a restaurant what you're paying for is their rent you know, you're, and so if you want us to be in the part of town you live in where the rents are high the cost is going to be high Right. And, and, and somebody has to pay for it at some point. And I, and I think that, like, um, there's a lot of artists have 
a lot of trouble in like in just telling people like I, I need your money and because it's not that's not a good pitch but I think that um, the audience is becoming more and more realistic because they're also tr trying to pay rent. They understand yeah. that everybody would love to be But there's also a, a lot comedian. of people yeah. who are like, okay, I, will, I might not pay for whoever mm. is at the top, Ricky yeah. Gervais or Dave Chappelle, whoever you're yeah. thinking of, and be like, I will take that other free guy on YouTube yeah. and I will consume that yeah. and as opposed to taking the A-level. Yeah. yeah. And, right. and I think that it's just like the, the reality is like you have to do a certain amount of free work. But mm -hmm. at, this, at some point, it really does. It really depends. I mean, if you're independently wealthy and you can just do it forever for fun, that's one thing. But if you need to make a living, at some point, you need to tell your, friend, your fans and your friends, like, the reason why you get 80% for free is because the extra 20%, which I really hope you like, you have to pay for it. But, like, we, you don't need 100,000 Patreon subscribers to make a living. Like, it doesn't have to be, like, you don't need a ton. Yeah, you need um, like a hundred yeah. on average. Paying five dollars, yeah. that's already yeah. Like so you're income. getting there. Yeah, and then and then the um and then the uh you know the the and so the I think that's been the good thing about the tea is it's kind of made me realize that like in the current day making a show on the internet without knowing how it's going to be monetized is is not as smart as if you've gotten it all together because now like I don't take any ads. Like, I don't have to worry about, you know, Lipton coming by to save me so I can, they can grace me with the ability to do what I already do well, you know. And so same with the comedy is like, um, you know, being able to support, everybody gets that supporting your performer with a live show ticket is a good thing, but they don't know how much money the, uh, the Ticketmaster makes. Mm. Like, you're, you're really, you're paying Ticketmaster. Mm. If you pay Patreon, like, I, I joke about this, but OnlyFans has the best business model for creators. People want stuff, mm. they make it. They send it to them. Mm. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I don't think I would do well on OnlyFans, but like... I don't think you yeah, would do well either. I don't either. think so. <laughs> I wanted... Dude, this was your chance to support me <laughs> in my journey. I would pay for your Patreon so you don't start an OnlyFans. You draw, yeah, that would... That, actually, that would be... That's, that's the next level. I don't down. know why, but I thought about you in a bathtub full of tea leaves. Like, oh that's your content. <laughs> yeah, like. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah. Meanwhile, the fro is just getting bigger and bigger. Exactly. Like, and the, the humid. I no. hate to sound like your mother here, but... Yeah, yeah. You, you seem to also have, have to be at some sort of crossroad mm. in terms of like because off air you're telling me that you yeah. wanted to go back to China at some yeah. point and you are trying to go back yeah. to China but also given that you're much bigger online than you are mm. you when you left China yeah how would that work out because obviously now the censorship also is way yeah. higher it's worse I mean it's the, way worse so the the, the and censorship the up in the sense that we were doing when mm. we were performing together in China it's just dead like you can't do it it's way too risky. No, I think that the, the challenge with the Chinese stand-up scene right now is that uh, there's kind of like a, there's a, there's a gateway. Mm. And if you make it, if you are willing to go through the gateway, it's going gangbusters. Because right. everybody still wants to see shows. And, but a lot of the comedians that want to do shows are not willing to do the safest, safest material mm. forever. And do a big tour, spending lots of their time and energy and, and money and risk to do very safe jokes. And so, but if you do do that, there's a ton of audience that will pay you. And so sure. actually the people that I know that are still doing stand-up are doing very well. Yep, But Nora Young is a good example Yeah, Nora Young is doing great. And, and yeah. again, this is not, not at all a knock against Nora no, and what she's no, doing because no. like, it's like, it's great that people are listening to English stand-up in exactly. Shanghai. It's great that people are listening to Chinese stand-up around, but the result is a system where one mistake destroys your whole club. Yep. So I would never do what I did before. I ran a club in Beijing for five years. I ran the venue. I would do our own shows. We would do our, everything ourselves. Yeah. I would never do that today. Um, and so that I feel like I'm at a crossroads where like, 
if what I want out of stand-up is to be able to occasionally go up and make some people laugh and it's not an artistic pursuit, but it's kind of a, it's more of a, um, act, it's almost an acting pursuit. It's like an actor doesn't ask whether, you know, what the script is. They try to perform the script as well as possible. If you're willing to, if, if you like acting and you like making people laugh, you can still do great comedy there. And it, but if your goal of the comedy is to use it to kind of dig at society and figure shit out for yourself and for the world, um, I won't say it's impossible because I'm always optimistic, but it's definitely harder than it was before. Mm. And, um, and the risk of making one mistake is bigger than it was before. So I'm, I'm trying to, I, I trust it's there. It's just, it's not going to look like straight stand-up comedy, but I think there's some sort of funny show that I can do in China that is a media product and it's tied to some sort of some way of making money sure. that I can independently produce with me and my friends that are all funny comedians and then next time I go back to China, my job is going to be to make that show and I don't care what's on TV and I don't care what Tencent thinks and I'm not sending in scripts. And if they want to block any individual social media video, they can do that. But like, I, 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 like what I miss most of all is my friends mm. going to the clubs, doing shows, and I don't need them to be in front of a thousand people because if I wanted to do bigger shows, honestly, I could probably still do those in the States for the Chinese expat audience. Well, wouldn't you worry about, number one, your tea business in yeah. China, number two, your suppliers, the people, because you know you know China more than me, like yeah. if they crack down, everyone is around you, everyone in your sphere yeah. is gonna get affected. Yeah. And if well, you have you know another business that actually makes you money. Yeah, well, I think that that is a realistic problem. And in many ways, it's like, I just can't give up comedy, man. Like, I just can't do it. Like. It's, um, it doesn't make sense to put that risk on yourself, but I think it's, you know, everything is some degree of dangerous. Driving a car is dangerous. We all decide which areas we're going to take our danger and which areas we're not going to take our danger. So, like, you know, I don't do hard drugs. I don't do, like, regularly dangerous things. Like, I don't skydive. I don't do whatever. But maybe what I'm into is, like, figuring out a way to make people in China laugh. Like, you know, and, and again, it's very important to remember, like, the audience isn't to blame for any of this. Like, they don't, they didn't get to choose what restrictions or otherwise goes on to their shows. So for me, it's like, I almost feel an obligation to that audience of, again, not being signed to the talent agency, not being signed to, uh, like, I'm not a tool of the state media. Like, you know, I can't yet. Not yet. Uh, uh, dude, it's not as uh, profitable as you think. They tried. Really? Uh, <laughs> like, they, um, you know, it's that would as, be on the Patreon. <laughs> no, that, that would be the Patreon. But the, um, yeah, I have a big patron from, you know, Mr. Yang or whatever from, from China wants $100,000 for a meeting. It isn't that. Everybody thinks you can make a lot of money selling out. Well, you really they, can't. They don't are, have like, We can name drop a couple of people. Mm. There was, like, that one guy, Mr. Wolf or whatever. Mm. He was, like, full on, like, like. Yeah. What, what do you call him? White warrior? Oh, wolf warrior. Wolf warrior. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But there was the one particular guy based in Beijing who was just like wrecking it at the end. And then he yeah. left and he was like, yeah, I was sponsored and these people are corrupt as fuck. Yeah, yeah, I'm right? sure. I mean, this is part of my challenge is like, I, I kind of get annoyed when these things are reported in the Western media because I'm like, this isn't news. We know this is happening, right? Yes. Like this, at least not for us, it's not news. Yes, yes. And, um, but, um, but I also but for think... for most people, it is news though. Ah, I you don't know? know. I mean, I, I tell you like, it's, it's very frustrating to, like, I already, like, had, basically when I do shows in English, I tell people I lived in China. I don't tell them I did comedy. Because mm -hmm. the moment I told them I did comedy, they just will not be 
satisfied until I tell them jokes about censorship. Right. They have to hear it. That's the only thing they know. Mm-mm. The only thing that they can think of Chinese comedy is not like people are stressed and they need to laugh. Not like there's funny shit going on in the Beijing subway. You know, not like I run a tea business. They like they have to hear about how or why I was censored, and they will not take it any is other this way. American audiences. This is American yeah, audiences. Yeah, yeah. But, I, yeah. You know, I understand yeah. that from having now spent time in China. I'm like, everything is so normal when you're there. You don't think yeah. about censorship. So the no. people, the audiences there aren't thinking about what they're missing out on. Yeah, or it's like, you know, is, is like we're in Taiwan right now. Is it yeah. possible tomorrow World War Three breaks out? Sure. Yeah. Like, is it useful on an everyday basis if you're a comedian to be thinking about that? Nah. Probably not. And probably the audience would be bored of it yeah, too. If, if yeah. every other comic yeah. jokes about, oh, China's going to face. Like, but all right. This is, oh, yeah, this we is get the it. danger of the cutting off of the, of the, um, of of China from the rest of the world is that it's not just that China's cut off from the rest of the world, the rest of the world's cut off from China. Mm. So before you would have a counter narrative about what was going on in China because there would be people going back and forth. But now no one's going back and forth. Mm. So the only stuff that is left is what is what is profitable in the West to talk about. And so this is my thing in Washington. I have a lot of friends who work in Washington, D.C. Mm. The only job you can get paid to do anything in China is national security. Right. Every, and so when everybody's livelihood and their parents and their family and their children's livelihood is based on seeing China as a national security threat, they will see China as a national security threat and has no relevance to what's happening in China. Now, there mm. are threats, but... But, like, we should not be surprised when that narrative gets so, like, you know, one-directional. And that's why I really, you know, if I wanted to make jokes about when I was censored in China, I bet I could be moving up in the, in the yeah, American yeah, you, comedy you scene. Like, yeah, you would have, like, CNN and whoever yeah, else, they would like, love open to their doors for you. It's like, ah, oh, here's yeah. some guy who got kicked out of China. But also, doing stand-up. Yeah, yeah I get of, that part. Kind of funny in the way, like, stand-ups never want to go for the easy joke also. Like, I don't want to do it even just from a comedic sense. Like, sure. it's like, it's too easy. Like, um, And you just also, you get boxed up. Like, you want be able to get out of that yeah. thing anymore when you just yeah. want to talk about your yeah. life or, or tea so, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And so like for me, I kind of have I've come to the conclusion that the best form of protest that I can do hmm. on both sides of this like, you know, shit show is like to refuse to play into that narrative and say, what is my real narrative? My real narrative is I have friends in both places. Mm. I have I have Chinese friends, I have Chinese American friends. I have mm. American friends that don't know anything about China. I drink tea, I do comedy, I travel, I do podcasts, I do all this stuff. And like, like by letting them suck the joy out of it, they win. Mm. You're right. And so by saying like, I'm gonna go to Taiwan and drink tea and try to do some mics. And right. like, you know, I don't know where it's going, but like, by refusing to let them suck the fun out of it. That's the best protest I can do right now. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, Jesse, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, man. Awesome. Yeah, it was a lot uh, of fun. This, yeah, this was long overdue, but I'm glad. Of all the places, we yep. end up uh, hanging out in yeah. Taiwan. Well, uh, know, anytime you guys want to come to LA, between the three of us, we already have the, the whole show set yeah, up. Yeah, can you so, take uh, us to the influencer parties, please? Oh my God, we got to do it. We got to do it. There's a between, lot, of, lot of DJs. Both of us combined don't even have 20,000. <laughs> Shut up. I'm going to pretend to be one of the rich people who is ready to fund Yeah. Somebody. You gotta do it. Yeah, that's the, that was that's the other way in. So you you've already figured it out. So, right. Okay. Nice. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, we'll, we'll see you at a at a at a uh, rooftop one last DJ How bar. do people find your your tea house online and your own socials? Cool. Um, the the tea house. Just search Jesse's Tea House. It's basically J E S S E S. So Jesse's Tea House. And then my um uh, for comedy, 
on Instagram, you can follow me at what she said, what XI said, mm. um, or oh, I you get can. It now. <laughs> I get it. Or the, the best way is honestly just to Google or or YouTube search my Chinese name, IZSE, because that's where all the comedy will be. Very good, uh, and yeah. we will have the oldest uh, links in the show description as well. Right. Any uh, at Annie Louis on Instagram, me at the other Muhammad on Instagram. Uh, we'll be touring all over the place, and Annie and I will be doing the Inter- Melbourne International Comedy Festival in April. So if you're in Melbourne, check us out, yep. and uh, see you next week. See you guys. 